maybe we be one. That, you know, I, I, that hit me in a different way about a month ago, just that thought. May we be one. And of course, the intentions, or I don't know if it was intentions, but the results of what took place over the last, well, I'm not even going to blame it on the last year. This, is, this has been ever since the cross. As the enemy would love to divide and to divide and to divide, he can't, he can't uh, pulverize uh, your, your life, your family, uh, your connections any more than he probably, he, he wants to take it to the lowest level of pulverization, if that's the right word. Being pulverized. Uh, remember when Jesus was talking to Peter and he said, the devil has desired to sift you like wheat. He wants to, you know what, wheat, basically they take grain, they run it through a, uh, you know, some kind of a deal that it just pulverizes it, it just sifts it. And then when they make bread, they take that wheat and they just grind it down into powder almost, what it is powder. That's what the enemy wants to do in every one of our lives. The enemy. But Jesus said to Peter, but listen, Peter, I've prayed for you. And I know I've said this before, but let me just bring it out again. And probably the thought would be, thank God that Jesus prayed for Peter. He didn't pray that he wouldn't be sifted. He prayed that he would not lose his faith. He said, but I've prayed for you, Peter, that your faith will remain. So anything and everything in our lives, I, I love the, the, all the little imagery as the words that bring images to mind, the political, uh, outlooks, the, the things in life, the things that are really important, this, that, and the other. All that stuff can be ground to powder. It can be ground to powder. And if our faith stays intact, let me tell you what happens. We can t continue to please God. We can continue to move forward. But you know what? We can have all the right positions and the right value systems. I'm not, and we should have the right based on what God says. But the thing is, we can be right in every area, but have no faith, and we can't please God. And so, uh, you know, we I've talked to us the last three weeks about unity. What is unity and how do we get it and, and what's the plan? And so I want to ask a question this morning as we start forward. Uh, does unity really command a blessing? Does it really in every area? Does unity always command a blessing? Now let's just think about it just a second because let me just go through a couple of thoughts here. The common phrase that I'm sure we've all heard out of uh, Psalm 133, 1 through 3, is that unity is the place where God commands a blessing. There I will command a blessing. Does he always command a blessing where there's unity? Now stop, don't even answer. Let me think about this a second. Can we be in unity around anything? And God will still command a blessing? Well, how about did God command the blessing around the Nazis in World War II? They were united. <laughs> they were in one accord about doing what they were doing, taking over the world, destroying uh, millions and millions of Jews, millions and millions of dissenters and people. That, they were in unity. Was there a blessing on them? No, there was not. Is there, was there a blessing on, uh, you know, uh, a Pot Paul? Is that his name? Pol Pot? Pol Pot? Pol Pot, yeah. I don't really care to remember his name a lot, but he destroyed Cambodia in the 70s. Destroyed it, killed millions of people. It's not even on the radar for most people because it was so underneath the uh, the news. 
But the thing was, he had a united front in the, in the form of the, the Khmer Rouge, which is really the Red Army, is what it is. It was a French uh, province before that. And so they had unity among a group of people. And what they did, was that a blessing to God? No, it was not. This morning, I just want to talk, because we read these three verses. And let me read these verses here real quick. This is Psalm 133, and this is a 1 through 3. And I'm going to read it out of the English Standard Version, uh, Garrett. English Standard Version. Let me just read these three verses. And listen, I'm not contesting anything that we've said. I'm just wanting to maybe bring a little bit of clarity because we can be in unity even in this country over the last year. There have been situations where there's a lot of people in unity about certain values. Does God command a blessing on that? Well, let's talk about it in just a second. So he says here, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded a blessing, life forevermore. God commands a blessing on this. But what we do is we look at that second verse. Oh, let me just say, I look at that second verse and I go, really get the beard stuff and the oil and running down on the collars and I, I don't understand all that so I had to do a little bit of searching a little bit of researching a little bit of digging and I got some thoughts here I want to just present to you this morning because it's not just about if we're in unity remember in uh in um Genesis chapter 11 where well maybe you don't remember the address but that's the story of the Tower of Babel where uh, you know, here there was a guy named Nimrod. How many of you have ever heard someone call someone a Nimrod and meant it in a good way? Nobody does. That's like, a, that's like an insult. Well, Nimrod was actually, if I can get this right, going back quickly, Nimrod was the grandson of Seth. Seth, is that right, Joe? Help me with this. Anyway, he was the, grand, he was the great-grandson of Noah, okay? Uh, great-great-grandson of Noah. His father, I believe, was Ham. And then, anyway, you go on down. It doesn't matter. Look it up. I probably got that all wrong. Just don't, don't quote me on all that. But go back. But he was like the great-grandson the great of Noah. And so as he comes, you know, they're like 100 years or so out. I don't know, a couple hundred years out from the flood. And so all the people, and I read a lot of this in, uh, in the, the, his, the, the book of Antiquities, which was written by Josephus. And so it doesn't contest anything. Uh, that the Bible says it just kind of fills in some blanks. And so maybe this is kind of like uh, Paul Harvey's rest of the story, you know. So let me just kind of fill some blanks in of some perhaps. And if it's not exactly right, it doesn't matter because it really ties in the story and it paints uh, a clearer picture maybe of what happened. But after the flood, let me, let me ask you a question. If, if there had been a worldwide flood and wiped everyone out and just you and your family were the ones left, how many of you would move into the plain? How many of you would want a riverside or a seaside home? Not me. Especially if I didn't believe God. Especially if I thought, you know what? You know, God, cause God goes on after he, the, after Noah comes out of the ark. After those days, they were on the floating, and when the waters receded, and God tells Noah, He says, "Now I want you to go, and I want you to populate the earth. I want you to spread out, and I want you to just uh, populate and take it, take dominion over the earth." That was the last one of the last commands that He had given, or the main command that He gave to Noah, 
And I remember, Judy, remember the song you used to sing? And the line in the song, I, was, I look for it in the Bible, but it's not there, but I believe God meant it. And don't be more troubled than you're worth. You know? Because God destroyed a whole civilization, the whole world, except for Noah and his family, because of the, the evil that was going on in men's hearts. And then God, after the, the flood, he comes back and he says, I'm never going to do it again. As a matter of fact, let me tell you how I'm going to show you and prove to you or give you a sign that I'll never do it again. I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky after it rains. Don't worry. It's not going to flood the earth out. So I just want you to know, I'll just say this for, for the point taken, the rainbow was God's idea and it represents God's pur- promise. So when people want to say the rainbow represents, no, it doesn't. It represents the promise of God that he loves people, he loves mankind, and he will not destroy the earth by doing that again. So the thing is, is uh, Noah uh, comes out of the ark, and he, he, they begin to spread out, but all the people, according to Josephus, all the people lived in the highlands. They lived in the mountains. They didn't want to go down into the plains. They didn't want to go down into the lowlands because a lot of them were afraid. They were thinking, you know, and probably I can imagine, men, it's probably muddier and all get out, in the beginning especially. But the thing is, is, that goes on. Eventually, you can actually take time. Let me go back here and read this real quick. Let me just find this. Uh, so let me read. It says, this is in Genesis. Let me just read this to you. You don't have to turn here. It says, this is Genesis 11, beginning in verse 1. It says, now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass that as they journeyed from, from the east, they found a plain, a plain, yeah, a lowland in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Now, according to Josephus, the historian, he says that they, there were a few people that went down, but most people didn't want to come down because they were afraid. You know, who wants to build in a floodplain? You know, this city, you might used to flood out downtown uh, before we had all the dams built up north. They would flood out, and there's pictures where downtown would literally be underwater. It would happen however often. I don't know, but you can go find pictures of it. Until they built the, all the dam systems and everything up north, uh, it would flood out. So you know what? And even now, when we used to live, Dan and I used to live down um, in the floodplain, what they considered the floodplain, and they said, well, you got to have flood insurance. I'm thinking, what do we need flood insurance for? Well, because if those dams ever break, I'm not going to go into all that. But the point is, is they were still making money off of selling people insurance because they were moving to the floodplain because what if something happened, blah, blah, blah. Well, these people were living in the mountains. They did not want to come down into the plain because of fear, but then they began to be uh, encouraged and influenced. And, hey, we're going to move down to the plain. So they moved down to the plain. The one thing that you'll see as I read through this is that these people that were led by Nimrod. Everybody say Nimrod. Calling me that? Don't call Nimrod, he, he, uh, he was a, a skillful hunter. He was strong. He was very strong, and he was a good leader, obviously. Doesn't mean he was a good guy. But he began to, to lead the people and to talk to the people. And, and he told them, let's build. Let me read it. He says, let's build. Uh, verse 3, he says, they said to one another, come and let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And uh, they had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come and let us build here it is, ourselves, a city and a tower whose top uh, is in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one. 
and all they have, they all have one language. And this, what they have, what they begin to do, now nothing that they propose will be withheld. Now here's the deal. They were never going to build a tower into heaven. But they were basically, and according to Josephus, and I'm hit this and I'll move on. According to the writings in the, in the historical, uh, books of Josephus, he said that they were afraid of God. There was, there was animosity in Nimrod's heart. And this guy was a, was a, a, a historian that lived, you know, just before the time of Christ. He was actually alive at the time of Christ. So a lot of the stories were passed down. A lot of the information is passed down. So here's the point, and I'm just going to stop reading that. The, the thing is, is just because people get in unity and they begin to do something. You ever heard the phrase, there's power in numbers? Doesn't mean there's a blessing on it. There's power in numbers. Yes, there is. But there's not necessarily a blessing on it. What we want is the blessing that comes from the unity that God calls us to. What does that unity look like? And let me go back now to, to, my, to what I want to bring this morning. There's a word that I was just sitting here and today and I was thinking of this word, and it's the word positioning. It's how we position ourselves in God. It's the way we position ourselves in God. Let's look at a couple, uh, a little bit on these, these here, these verses here in Psalm 133. And if you look closely at verse one, David says it's good and pleasant because they, like, David is the one that they that they say probably wrote this. Uh, it's, it's how, how good. It's good and pleasant for brothers to dwell together in unity. And then in verse 3 it says, there God commands a blessing. But in the middle of that, there's the, the verse about Aaron and the oil and, and all these and the dew coming from Hermon and landing on Mount Zion. What does that mean? I don't know. Let's just take that out. I like verse 1 and verse 3. I do. I like those two verses because I don't, didn't really understand. I didn't have any concept on the middle. I thought, you know, it's just maybe poetic, whatever they're saying. But there is something to this. So let me just begin to try to maybe present some thoughts on, on this. So the first thing uh, about the people in, in, um, in Babylon, in Babel, at the Tower of Babel, they had their own agenda. This is what I want. This is the way I want it. But God told us to spread out. But here's the thing. I don't want to do that. I want to stay together. I want to be right here. But God wants us to spread out. He wants us to take the earth. He wants us to populate the earth. But I don't want to. That was the problem going on there. They had their own agenda. God was their king. God was their Lord. God was their creator. God was their authority. And you know what they decided? I don't want to do that. Let's build us a tower that if God ever floods the earth again, we can go up into this tower and it will not reach us. Now, that, those are just some thoughts I'll throw out here. Let's go ahead and begin going through verse 2 for just a second. You know, a lot of Bible scholars, a lot of teachers of the Bible, they believe that this particular psalm was written at the time when all 12 tribes, when all 12 tribes of Israel were, were had come together. Now, there was a season... There was a season where all 12 tribes of Israel were scattered. They were all so dysfunctional. They were just existing. They were in the promised land, but they were just out there. They were not in unity. They were fighting among themselves. They were, they were not unified in any way, shape, or form. A lot of people believe, and I just, I'm just going to lean into this because I believe this is probably what he's talking about. This is my guess. If not, I believe it fits this. 
story here, this narrative here, that basically that when 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 all the Israel the Israeli tribes, the Israelite tribes came together and they appointed David as king, the blessing of God came on them. The blessing of God came on them, which is my point, which is what? That basically they had a holy, a, a God-given authority in their life, and that was David for them. That was David. That David was the authority. He was the king. And they all came around that, and they said, absolutely. That was the problem that they didn't have in, in, in the, at the Tower of Babel. You know, God had given them instruction, and then they had leaders under them that are going, we don't care about that. You can't tell us what to do. This is my life. This is I made this money. I can spend it any way I want. I can do what I want. I can live where I want. I can go what I want. I can do what I want. Nobody's going to tell me what's right. Nobody's going to tell me what's wrong. That's basically what was going on then. And in many respects, that goes on today. And it's not about us having little pea brains that we can't think for ourselves, but it's putting us putting ourselves under the authority that God, and here's the thing. Let me just say right now, there's no disputing it. God is our king. God is our king. We don't have to wrestle with that. God is our king. So if our king directs us and instructs us on certain issues and matters that the world says, oh, you don't have to do that. This is America. This is a new life. This is a new world. We can do what we want. Let me just say, yes, you can. But the blessing does not flow when we get out from under the authority of what our God, our king tells us. And so as, as he, as he is, is writing this psalm, I believe he's basically saying the blessing of God is on us because we are in unity. We've come into unity. Not because I'm the king. I don't think that was his attitude. I think his attitude was, God put me here. I didn't choose this. Remember David was out. He was out basically tending sheep when, when uh, the prophet comes and he pours the oil over his head and he says, you're the next king. And it didn't happen for a while. David wasn't going, yippee, yes, sir, okay, this is awesome. I've been waiting for you. David had no clue. God picks and puts who he wants in those places, whether it be in, in civic authority. In, and the thing is, is, are they perfect? Was David perfect? Question, was David perfect? What do you mean, no? God picked him. Oh, wait, didn't, didn't he commit adultery? Didn't he have his... You know, the, the woman that he committed adultery with, her husband killed, yes. But God still commanded a blessing. Well, David had a heart that would repent. And the thing is, is, if we're looking for a perfect leader, you got one. It's called the Lord Jesus. But everybody underneath that leadership is going to have faults and flaws. But if we can put ourselves in that place. So the first thing is, the thought is that uh, basically when, when God anointed David, and brought him to that place of leadership. He wasn't perfect, but God was able to command a blessing because they came together in that place. And so I guess the thing is, there's no contesting or disputing it for us as the church. God is our king. He's our king. And if God tells us something through the scriptures, through the word, then you know what? We don't have to go, well, I don't know if I like that. I don't know. There's a lot of things I don't like, but there's a lot of things that I know that if I abide by, if I honor God, that you know what, I'm, I'm positioning myself for the blessing of God to flow. The second thought there is the oil. When he, when he says basically the oil that was poured on the head of Aaron and ran down on his beard and down on the, his uh, coats and down, dripping off of his, uh, you know, his, his garments. What is that? Well, let me just read some thoughts here. David began to relate this moment of unity to the oil being poured on the priest. 
okay, as he was writing this psalm. And it wasn't any ordinary oil. It wasn't just Crisco. It wasn't, you know, some kind of just cooking oil. It was a very specific oil. It was anointing oil. As a matter of fact, the, the oil was so special, it was made from five different ingredients, and I can't tell you all of them. We, I'm sure we can look it up. But the main thing was olive oil, and then there were specific things. And you can read back in Exodus when God told them to make this oil, and he said, now when you make this oil, it's to be used for absolutely nothing else. It's holy unto me. And he says, now I want you to take it. And he pulled Aaron, who was the very first high priest, and his sons, and he poured that oil over his head. Basically, you know what's poured over the head of the church? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And you know, let me say this. Uh, you know, there's a lot of views about the Holy Spirit, what you can and can't do, what you should and shouldn't do. Here's what I know about the Holy Spirit. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's, a, he's, the, he's the one that leads us and guides us. He speaks into our life. He orders our steps. He helps us to understand. He brings back to our remembrance. And so, what, what, what am I saying with all this? I'm just about halfway through this, but let me just go back and say, it's about God helping us to be positioned in the place where the blessing flows. Because I can stand here, and you and I can be friends, and we can be whatever, but if I say to you, you know what? I don't care about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I don't need the Holy Spirit. Well, you know what? You can still love me and all, but you know what I'm doing? I'm stepping out. I'm putting, and when I, see, some of her saying, so, so we all need to be uh, of the same view of how we operate in the gifts of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. I didn't say that. The Holy Spirit leads us and guides us. Some people don't even believe that the Holy Spirit really exists. They just think the Holy Spirit is, is some kind of a weird concept that they talked about in the Bible. They don't really understand but I believe as David's writing here, he's talking about this oil, and they're pouring this oil. I believe God is pouring oil on our lives when we position ourselves and say, God, whatever you tell me, I'll do. Whatever you direct me, I will operate within the parameters and the values that you send me. I'm talking about the unity that God calls us to. It's the place where blessing, where the blessing of God, not just is for me, but it's through me. It's through us as a church. I don't want to just be a part of something that I come and I get blessed. I want to be a part of something that I come and I am a blessing. I want to live in a world being a blessing rather than just looking for a handout of something. Can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? I want to be a person that honors God. God is my king. God is my authority. God is the one that makes a way where there appears to be no way. And on top of that, he pours the spirit, the Holy Spirit on me and into my life as I study the word, as I pray, as I yield to him, we're talking about the blessing. We're going from, instead of going from verse 1 to verse 3, let's stop in verse 2. Because I believe that this is, these are the things that qualify in many, many ways what David's calling attention to. And this is why the blessing comes. Because God is our king. And we all acknowledge that. Because we believe that God gives us the Holy Spirit to order our steps, to help us. So, so basically that, the, that first oil, what we need to know about that first oil, uh, that first part of the, about the oil is that the oil was fragrant for all who were around. When the, when the priests would show up, when they would come in, you know what they would do? They would go, I smell Aaron. Anybody ever said they smell you? My grandkids, I love my grandbabies. Go lay down with them sometimes in Delta. Is she, she's, not, oh, she's out there. She'll go, I want to smell you. 
because you know what? We have a we have a fragrance sometimes. But when the priest would come in, I don't know why I said that, just let that go. Just kind of edit that out. But the thing is, is when the priest would come in, man, there was an aroma, there was a smell, there was a fragrance. I want you to know the reason God wants to pour the Holy Spirit on every one of us, our lives, is because there is a not a physical aroma, not a natural aroma, but there is a spiritual aroma that when we show up in a situation, you know what I think people go, and I'm glad you're here. Maybe they not even say it. They may not even know what to say, but there's something that happens. Because when we show up, when we are living in that place where God is our king, there's no disputing it, there's no arguing it, and I believe that the Holy Spirit is ordering my steps. So the first thing was that uh, that that uh, that oil was very fragrant. It was very noticeable. And second thing, which I've already said, was that basically it was very specific. Very specific. God's very specific about how he moves in and on our lives. And so our lives should exemplify the things that Jesus taught us, not just how we want to walk it out. We should be examples to the world around us. Let's go to the third one here, the dew. And this one's a little bit interesting. Uh, the, the dew came from Mount Hermon. Now, Mount Hermon was a high mountain. And Mount Zion, Zion was almost like a hill. It wasn't like, Hermon was a huge mountain. Zion, as a matter of fact, when, when we were, I was in Israel a long time ago, and for those of you who have been there, you're going, you're looking for Mount Zion. They go, there it is right there. What? It's right there. I thought it was like this big, like the Rocky Mountains. No, it's, it's, it's not a gigantic place. Hermon was a big, huge mountain. And it says that the dew of Hermon would fall on Mount Zion. What's that mean? Well, let me just give you some thoughts. These are not mine. These are some thoughts I came across. I thought, wow, that's pretty good. The dew came from Mount Hermon and fell on the mountains of Zion. Now, Zion was the place that God said, was his home. He loved Zion. He loved Mount Zion. Hermon was a common place. Zion was the place of God. Let me say that again. Mount Hermon was a common place. It was a huge mountain. Mount Zion was, was the place of God. And so the dew was abundant and actually increased the fertility of the land on which it fell. What does that mean? Let me read through this and I'll try to explain it. A little bit better. This means that the commonplace, our common lives, what we do in our everyday life. Listen, if my life is different as I stand here today, if I'm different here, now listen, I, I don't preach all the time, just most of the time. Ask my wife. But the thing is, is if I'm different today as I'm standing here, or if I can go out and I'm different, then either I'm not being honest here, or um, this is because the commonplace is when I'm at Home Depot and I'm at El Charo. And that's not common. That's awesome, extraordinary. But anyway, but if I'm at these places that I go and, and it's like, and I'm doing life, whether it be at work or whatever, those are commonplaces. Am I blessing God from those places in my heart? Am I honoring God? Am I trusting God? Am I speaking the, the things that I believe that God is? Listen, God is faithful. When we get around people, is the aroma of my life watering those around me? That's the place that God commands a blessing. Is that when our lives are very, very central, centered on the God is my king, God is my Lord, un, uncompromising. We're not going to argue about this. 
The second thing is the Holy Spirit is leading me and guiding me. He's giving me insight. He's helping me. And the third thing is, is in my common life, which is bigger than my, maybe like what they're calling uh, Mount Zion. Mount Zion was a, was a place that we go to. Maybe, uh, you know, for church or whatever it is. Am I, do I act different when I'm here as when I'm in my common life? Because if I can water and honor God from my common life out there, I'm honoring God. I'm being a blessing. I'm being kind. I'm allowing the fruit of the Holy Spirit to work through me in love and forgiveness and mercy and whatever it is. Then you know what? I believe that that do of my life is spreading things that are causing fertility for the kingdom of God that helps others to grow. That's the place that God commands a blessing. When our lives are doing good for those around us, as opposed to, well, I'm really, I, I tell you what, I'm the, I'm the number one dancer at church. Are you the number one honorer of God in your commonplace? Herman was a commonplace. Mount Zion was the house, the place of God, the home of God, as it were, the place of God. And so the dew was abundant and actually increased fertility. I've already said that. This means that the common place needs to be blessing the place of God. Our life needs to be blessing God's presence, blessing the, the, the knowledge of God from our common place as opposed to it just being, well, you know what, that's when I go to church. I don't really do that when I'm not at church. Does your common time bring blessing to the kingdom of God? Does it bring blessing to the church only? Does your life look different when nobody's watching? I think that's probably the question. We are positioning ourselves for the blessing of God. I love verse 1. I love verse 1. How good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. And I love verse 3. For that's the place that God pours out a blessing. That he commands a blessing. But the thing in between is the positioning when we can position ourselves in these areas. And of course, Zion, uh, the moment after David talks about Zion, he says, there, that's the place that God commands a blessing. Right there in Zion. When, and the thing is, is we are God's people. We are God's people. We're the ones that God, uh, we've chosen him, but actually he chose us first. But that's the place that God commands a, a blessing. Where? Zion. We're the people of Zion, church. That's who we are. We're the people of God. Not just this church. I mean, I got a friend over here, pastors, the, the Lutheran church. Many, the guy loves Jesus. The church over there, they love the Lord. The blessing of God is on them. If we position ourselves, and see, I can sit in this room and distance myself from the, the ways of God. I can sit in this room and distance myself from the leading of the Holy Spirit. I can sit in this room and distance myself that my, my Christianity is, is compartmentalized to only this when I come on Sunday, or only this when I'm in my connect group, or only this when I'm around people that are, that are, that are uh, believers. But when I get around others, look, hey, sky's the limit. God's merciful. He'll forgive me. But the blood, and you know what? And He will. But the blessing flows as we position ourselves, as we absolutely position ourselves. Let's pray.